Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of From the Other Sideline as we continue our Fiesta Bowl college football playoff preview series, which I cannot say enough as a long-suffering TCU fan. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, we are going to deep dive into the Michigan Wolverines, TCU's opponent, in the first round of the college football playoff. Got to get that in there once again. Um, in order to talk Wolverines, I reached out to Aaron McMahon of MLive at the Ann Arbor News, the Michigan uh, football beat reporter for that organization, uh, to give us a little bit of a behind the scenes of the Wolverines and, and start to prep us for what we can expect to see on New Year's Eve down in Glendale. Aaron, thanks so much for taking some time and joining me today. Melissa, it's good to be here. Good to be good to uh, talk football. Hey, it's always good to talk football. It's always good to talk meaningful football in December. Uh, you know, Michigan made their turn in the college football playoffs a year ago. This is their second appearance. Um, you always seem to see a little bit of a bounce from those teams that get that experience of playing under the bright lights on the biggest of stages. Um, you know, a rough, a rough uh, uh, first first round into the playoffs, but this team seems to be a little bit more complete, and, and it seems like they look to address the issues specifically that cost them maybe and and their first appearance on on that national stage what do you see as the main difference between 2021 michigan and 2022 you hit it i think they're a more complete team last year they were just i think happy to get there um you know before then the pressure was on jim harbaugh to win michigan hadn't gotten to a big 10 title game um they just hadn't got kind of climbed the top of the mountain and last year they were in a way they were able to do it they got everything out of the way that they needed to they beat their arch rival ohio state so by the time they got to the playoff, it almost like it, it almost been like okay, like what more can they accomplish? You know, everything was everybody was happy. They got the monkey off their back with Ohio State. They they won the Big Ten championship, um, and they just I think they weren't ready for the moment. I, I think it was a team that clearly hadn't been there yet. They didn't know what to expect. Um, they were a little outmanned in some ways. Um, this year, I think they've learned a little bit. That yes, there are some different players, different a little bit of different personnel on both sides of the ball. Um, but this team, I think, knows what it takes to win on that stage. Uh, and I think that's the clear difference between last year and this year. I, I think on both sides of the ball, you've got players who uh, maybe didn't play in that game last year, recognized what, what, what it took to, to get there and, and win it. The last couple of weeks, all, that's all been the talk. You know, After they won the Big Ten Championship game uh, last week, you know, they were happy to do it, but they said they have bigger and better goals this year. And, and clearly that's to not only, I think, win a game in the playoff, but tr try and go the, 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 uh, the whole way. How difficult is it for, you know, these these are still at the end of the day, 18 to now 23-year-old kids because of COVID. Some of them are older, but to make that leap. And, and you know, when you play for Michigan, it's a blue blood program. It's obviously, you know, a program that's used to having a, a bright light shined upon it. There's something different about playing in the college football playoffs. Did you see kind of that wear on them a little bit towards the end of last season? And and how have you seen maybe that maturity grow over the over this kind of in year two of this journey? Yeah, I think it did. And in a way, it weighed on them in fact in, in the way like there, there was a bunch of unknown. They didn't know what to expect once they got there. Um, they were dealing with injuries. Their some of their key players were banged up. And while that remains the case this year, as as I said, they they I think they know what to expect. They you know, they went through the the drag of it last year. They went through the preparation and you mentioned the bright lights and the spotlight because it's it's a different ball game now. I mean, essentially the college football world is down to four teams. Yes, you've got all these bowl games, but you've really got two that really matter culminating in the national championship. So I think there'll be a lot of eyes on on them that necessarily haven't been the entire year. They're gonna, gonna get a lot of attention. A lot of a lot of the players are gonna be obviously doing a lot of interviews. Um, so it's just it's just a different, I think, beast. Um, as I said, it probably helped that they were there they, they were there last year. Um, a little bit different opponent this year. 
Um, but I think they're eager in a way. You know, I, I think they've got something to prove. I think they want more than just getting there. They want to win a game. They want to win the national championship. And and I think that's something that, uh, you know, it's the ultimate goal right now. You know, I think it's it's so interesting because you you talk, you know, you can talk about all the 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 stuff that happens off the field around the college football playoffs and around, you know, kind of the banquet season. And it, it's a lot similar to the Super Bowl where p- players that have never been there before always talk about how long halftime is, how long, you know, pregame is compared to normal and how it's so hard to stay warm. And, you know, I think TCU fans are, are going to experience that really for the first time in their history in this long drawn out break between games. And Max Duggan, you know, has been out on the circuit winning awards and Travis Hodges Tom. Tomlinson and, and Steve Avila and some of these big name players that um, are spending a lot of time away from the facility, um, not necessarily by choice, but but by circumstance. And so I think making that adjustment back in Michigan probably got a lot of that too last year where, you know, Aiden Hutchinson and some of their big name players were, were getting so much national attention. So it's kind of the blessing and the curse of this is amazing for your program, especially if you're a program like TCU to have national attention shined on you, but also like everything that you're doing that's not preparing for your next football game is not preparing for your next football game. And so um, I'm, I'm going to be really fascinated to see how Sonny Dykes kind of manages that from a, a TCU perspective and, you know, what Jim Harbaugh maybe has learned over the last year and managing that. Now he's, you know, coached at a Super Bowl and he's played in some of these big games. He's, I think he, he had a couple of Rose Bowls at Stanford. Um, so, so maybe he had a little more experience, but I, I think it's fascinating just from a managing the program standpoint. Would you agree that that's one of the biggest challenges? Yeah, on top of everything that you just said, the coaches are out recruiting right now too. They've got yeah, National Signing Day coming up in a couple of weeks, and they're trying to you know seal the deal with some of these kids. So yeah, you, you hit on it. There's a lot going on. Michigan did not practice last week. They let their their players off for the week to finish with you know studies and finals and everything else. Um, but they're expected to get back to practice this week. And you're right, it, it is a, it's a weird point where like everyone's talking about you, everyone is ready for the game, and yet you're still a good two to three weeks out with so much preparation still to still to go. So yeah, same situation. Situation in Arbor Blake Corum was getting a lot of praise up until his injury. A lot of guys have been going up for awards. Michigan's defensive coordinator Jesse Minner was up for the Broyles Award last week. So yeah, there's just a lot going on. And yet, you know, you gotta, like you said, you got to kind of turn around and realize, oh, we've got a game in a couple of weeks. We got to get ready for it. Not only a game, but a very important one too. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a big deal, I guess. I don't mean, we're, we're learning this for the first time, but we assume it's probably kind of a big deal. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Jim Harbaugh because it, it's so. Nothing, there's nothing like college football for this, right? Because of just how how connected the fan base feels to its university to go from an absolute zero a guy that can't win the big game. People were trying to run out on the rail, even though he's a true Michigan man to now, you know, he's widely being considered as one of the top 10 uh, coaches in college football because he beat Ohio state twice in a row. And, and he's made the college football playoffs twice in a row. I don't think anything specifically has changed that much about Jim Harbaugh. I mean, obviously every year that you're in the position, you get a little bit better at it, but do you think this national pro- progression is just getting that Ohio state monkey off? his back or have you seen him do anything a little bit differently that's maybe helped kind of him get over the hump so to speak and and take this program to the next level yeah he needed to get the Ohio State monkey off his back I think that was the biggest thing that was kind of knocking him and that was the biggest criticism against him you know a lot of times not only could they not win the beat Ohio State but because they couldn't beat Ohio State they couldn't get into the Big Ten Championship because you can't get the Big Ten Championship you don't get to the playoffs. So it's almost like those domino situation where. Well, what you say, you say you can't get to the Big Ten championship. You can still get to the playoffs. If you're Ohio State, it doesn't really matter. Right. But right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. So it's it was it was a very interesting time up until 2020. I mean, like it, it wasn't like they were bad. I mean, Jim Harbaugh had like a 65 percent winning percentage. Yeah. They won most of the games they're expected to. They just couldn't win. Like you said, some of those 
those those key games, whether it was Ohio State or in-state rival Michigan State. And, you know, after the 2020 season, something I think changed with, within the program. Jim went through and um, did, did a drastic sweep of his coaching staff. He fired several guys. Some, and, and to his credit, some guys that had been with him for a while that he considered um, some of his, you know, longtime friends and, and people he respected. But I think he looked internally and realized, okay, something needs to change. Otherwise, hey, I may not get another couple of years here. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he swept a lot of guys out, brought in some former players, former people familiar with the the Michigan program. I think that gave them some momentum there, and then they changed a lot of I think what what they did you know uh, schematically and in the off off the field stuff. Um, he brought back his kind of uh, you know his smash mouth style of play on the offensive side of the ball. Went back to his identity running the, running the ball. We saw that a lot last year kind of blossom as the season went on, and he's obviously carried it over this year. So in a way, they've gotten back to what he's familiar with, what he's good at doing. And I, I think from his perspective, I think he's real, he realized too that he wasn't going to beat Ohio State by out Ohio Stating them. Like mm-hmm. and what I mean when I say that, I mean not like bring in all these five-star receivers and throw the ball around and everything else. They realized they weren't going to be able to do that. So I think he, he realized they have to find a different way to do it. They went back to what he knows best. Uh, and they, you know, it's playing that smash mouth, big physical style of play. They've gotten some big beef, you receive or uh, linemen. They've gotten some running backs. They've, they've really liked and developed very well. And it's turned into the success we've seen the last couple of years. And the defense is well changed philosophy. I, I think they've, they've done a very good job of kind of blending last year. They had a couple of superstars. You mentioned Aiden Hutchinson, you mentioned David, mentioned David Jabal. They don't really have that this year. And they've done a good job of kind of building off that as an all 11 unit, Ben don't break defense. And it's really, it's done wonders wonders for them this year. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to say that you made that point about not out Ohio State. Um, I was talking to Shahan uh, Jaraja of CBS, and, and he said, you know, that, that Ohio State has been built to win on the national stage. And so sometimes they would lose a, a weird game in the, in the Big Ten, but Michigan has been kind of built to win in the Big Ten. And so seeing if they can translate that style to the national chain, now listen, they they had to play Georgia last year, and and that like Georgia was ridiculous last year. So I don't think you could you could say that that was a, a failure to prepare or preparing to fail, whatever. I think it was just you ran into a juggernaut, an absolute buzzsaw, and they still. I mean, what well, they, they didn't get embarrassed; they held their own. Um, but you know, playing that smash mouth, that that built from the trenches kind of style, when you play in the Big Twelve, is not all flash like it used to be, right? Like they still have some pretty good defenses, but you're going to see a very different style um, that you see weekend and week out in the big 10 something that's built more like an Ohio state when you play TCU. And so um, do you, I mean, I don't think any TCU fan is stupid enough to think that Ohio or Michigan doesn't have a massive advantage in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I'm um, just from sheer size, the way that they're built, the way that they're, they're built to win. But I think that, that maybe TCU's speed on the outside might present some challenges that they don't see as much. Is there anything specifically that you're kind of looking at like, man, if TCU can do this well, they have a real shot. Or if Michigan locks down this area, it's going to be an absolute bloodbath. I mean, is there anything early on that you're kind of, you're kind of looking to pay attention to? Yeah, you hit it. I think Michigan does have the advantage in the trenches, and I think they're going to try and run the football and try and move, play their style of ball. Michigan likes keeping on the ground, chewing up clock, and keeping the ball away from opposing offenses, especially ones that like to move quickly and, and score in bunches and everything else. So I suspect that's going to be Michigan's game plan coming in. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious to see how they handle Max Duggan in that TCU offense. While Ohio State struggled to score in the second half, they were still able to put up a ton of yards on the on the field. They were able to move the fo- football pretty efficiently in the first half. Um, but Michigan, where they really uh, wore them down and, and, and did and did well, was keeping them out of the end zone once they got into the into the red zone. So I'm really curious to see how TCU moves the football if they can do so, whether they can you know punch it in for 
for seven instead of three. And if that's the case, I think they can hang with them. If not, if it's a similar situation with Ohio State where they struggled up in the red zone and whether they go three and out or, or you know, commit some turnovers, I think that's where Michigan's going to have the advantage and I think they can run away with it. Um, but yeah, they have the clear advantage in the trenches that they have pretty much all season long. It's going to come down whether TCU can make mistakes, whether they make, make mistakes or not, when they can move the football. And they can do that. I think there's going to be a high scoring. It should be a back and forth competitive game. If not, I think Michigan can run away with it there in the second half. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. And, and I'm kind of, you know, as I try to talk myself into ways that I think, you know, we're, we're very much in that we're really happy to be here, like mode for TCU. Like, no, TCU's picked to finish seventh in the Big 12. Nobody expected 12 and 0. Nobody, you know, none of these things were not supposed to happen in year one of the Sunny Dykes era. And so uh, it's, we could feel like we're happy to be there and hope the players don't. But I, I'm hoping that the, the best thing that happened to TCU was not scoring from the one yard line in that Big 12 championship game. Because when you talk about converting in the red zone, that has been a, a little bit of a point of contention, I think, for people watching that program is being able to punch it in when it matters now they they have a high touchdown conversion rate but it's because they don't settle for field goals and so there have been a lot of points left on the board down down in that territory and so those bend don't break off, uh, defenses which i think kansas state is built a little bit similarly in that way too um can lead to some problems for tcu and so you know how creative can garrett riley get how creative can sunny dykes get in order to do some things that michigan hasn't seen on film already um and and you know be able to convert those final few yards into seven points because if you're kicking field goals against michigan i mean we've seen when that offense is clicking what they can do and what they did to ohio state was uh you know, for a lot of people that down here or, you know, TCU fans, that might be the only game they watch this year. And you, you're thinking, looking at that and thinking, man, like this thing could get really out of hand really, really quickly if, if Michigan gets rolling. Um, I want to talk about some of those those offensive players. Um, you, you know, I think you talked about Blake Corum and, and you know, just super frustrating and upsetting to see a, a star like that. It doesn't seem like they've lost, uh, you know, skipped much of a beat with Donovan Edwards at running back. And so what have you seen out of him these last couple of games? And, and what, you know, what do people need to be watching for him as a runner? Yeah, I'm a little surprised they haven't skipped a beat just because Donovan, we talk about Blake Corum and he's he's going to be out for the game. He's out for the rest of the season due to injury. But Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards isn't exactly 100% either. He's dealing with an injured hand. He played uh, banged up in the Ohio State game. In fact, he had to run with the football with his left hand as opposed to his right. Um, so it was very unfamiliar and un unorthodox for him. Um, but yet he was able to do it. You know, he was he got off to a slow start and he kind of got stronger as the game went on. I think Michigan's offensive line did, did him some help, obviously. And it was a very similar situation against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game where he got off to a slow start. But it almost seems like as games get on go on, he just gets stronger and stronger. And he, he's good at visualizing and seeing open holes and just hitting them. Um, and I think that's where that, that Michigan offensive line, that beefy front kind of wears on, on opposing teams. Michigan's had a ton of success in the second half. So, yeah, Donovan Edwards will be the guy to look out for. It's interesting because if he was 100% or at least closer to healthy, um, he'd be more dangerous almost in the passing game than maybe he is in the running game. They like using him out in the slot as a receiver. He had a couple of touchdown catches earlier this year. Uh, so he's a very dangerous running back when he help, when healthy and when not, you know, he's less than hundred percent right now. He's still, they're still going to give him 20, 25 carries. So, uh, you know, he's, he's a former, former borderline five-star recruit, a guy, Ohio state actually wanted out of high school and Michigan ended up snapping up. Um, and he's only a sophomore. They, they really like what they, they've got out of him. Um, he's very, uh, well liked by his teammates, uh, very skilled, talented guy. Uh, but yeah, expect him to get a bunch of carries, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl.
Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think that, you know, the, the one thing we know is that TCU has seen some really talented running backs with Bajon Ronson and uh, Deuce McAllister and it's a different guys up and down uh, that that Big 12 uh, uh, conference. And so, you know, when TCU is really schemed to stop the running game, you know, like they did against Bajon Robinson, they held him to his season low, one of the worst you know rushing performances of his career. But when they've had to have more balanced attack, like against Kansas State, you know, Deuce Vaughn had a huge game and, and he's another really great receiver out of the backfield. So you talk about a guy that can can get out from the backfield and catch passes. If if you send him on a wheel route, you're going to score a touchdown. Like it's just a it's been a TCU bugaboo for like 25 years. It's it's definitely going to happen. Um, when you look at the the rest of the receiving core, there's one guy who stands well above everybody else, almost double the receptions of the next guy, and that's Ronnie Bell. He's a senior. Um, he's not a, a huge guy, just six foot. What, what is makes him so dangerous, and why is he such a favorite target of uh, JJ McCarthy? Yeah, well, he does a lot of things well, and he's probably the most experienced of the group. He's another kind of under-the-radar kid, a three-star recruit out of, of St. Louis, Missouri. Actually, he's got an interesting story. He had no other scholarship offers mm-hmm. in Michigan, went and found him. In fact, he was going to go wow. play college basketball at like Missouri State or something like that. Wow. So Jim kind of found him out of nowhere. Uh, kind of he, he played as a true freshman, and he's as, as the years have gone on, He's gotten more of an opportunity. Now, he was expected to be Michigan's number one receiver last year, tore his ACL in the season opener, had to sit out the rest of the year. So we weren't sure what Ronnie Bell we were going to get at the beginning of the year. I didn't know if his speed was still going to be there. I didn't know if his you know, his, his skills were still going to be what he was. And he's proven to be very reliable. Um, the, the, the quarterbacks like throwing to him. He doesn't drop a lot of balls. He gets open. Um, and he's decent with 50-50 balls. Um, but I think the more interesting story maybe with Michigan's receivers is maybe what they haven't done this year. And that's probably been the biggest, I guess, question mark with this Michigan offense is the receivers just haven't been, um, you know, they, they've struggled at 50-50 balls. They've struggled going up to get the ball um, and, and really making plays. And that's one of the reasons why I think Michigan's felt the need to lean on the running game so much this year. Um, they, they have a bunch of guys that they thought I think would break out. They haven't gotten a ton from um, Cornelius Johnson, another name to pay attention to, he had a big game against Ohio State. But up until that point, he'd been he'd kind of been a flash in the pan. He'd have a good game one week and disappear the next. So uh, Michigan's got a bunch of receivers they like, a bunch of got, but it's a it's a really unproven group. So Ronnie Bell leads the way. He's just the most most experienced of the bunch. He's a senior now. Uh, he's got a senior senior bowl invite. Um, so he's got a potential NFL future. But he's he's clearly um kind of kind of cut a roll out for him as as the I guess most reliable guy of the group. That'll be a really fun matchup uh, with Ronnie Bell and, and Travis Hodges Tomlinson and or Josh Newton for TCU. You know, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, Thorpe Award winner, uh, All-American. And then Josh uh, Newton is it's got to be one of the biggest surprises um, in the Big 12 on the defensive side of the ball. He's a transfer from uh, ULM that kind of came out of nowhere as a guy nobody had really thought of. And now all of a sudden um, he's one of the best uh, coverage defensive backs in the country that nobody talks about. So I think that's going to be a really, a really interesting matchup. Uh, we got to talk quarterback. So JJ McCarthy, you know, kind of, you know, Michigan was winning games. And so there wasn't a whole lot of complaining, but he, I think there was still kind of a, a dissatisfaction. I, I sense from the fan base early on. Um, and then he had his star turn uh, in, in the game as well. Um, and, and looked really great, you know, really solid against Purdue. Is this a kid, a young guy that's finally starting to kind of find his, his, uh, uh, his stride or, or, you know, or do you expect that to continue that kind of rise to continue? Yeah. It's been a very interesting time just because he came in as a true freshman last year. I think many in the fan base expected him just to kind of take over and be that guy. Uh, Michigan set up to go with Cade McNamara, the older, more mature kind of game manager guy that could kind of lean on. Uh, he, he goes out, wins 12 games last year and takes him to the big 10 championship and the playoff and everything else. They come into this year with a quarterback battle where, um, you know, Kay kind of came in, came back as an incumbent. JJ didn't practice at all in the spring. He was dealing with a shoulder injury, so he didn't throw a ton. 
Uh, yet Jim Jim Harbaugh names kind of a, a quarterback competition to open the season. Cade gets to start week one. JJ gets to start week two. And then, hey, we're going to decide after that well, who's going to be the starter. Turned out to be JJ. Um, he's just a little bit more mobile. He has the legs. Um, he's got the, the arm, I think, that they really like. Um, and he really kind of brought that different dimension in the Michigan offense that Cade didn't do. Um, so he's able to get outside the pocket. He can pick up, you know, four or five, six yards if if, if it's there for him. Um, he isn't afraid to, to, to get hit or take a hit. Take a hit. Um, so he's he just kind of he forces the defense to to you know um, to pay attention to the quarterback. They have to rely on somebody. Um, so I think that's where the advantage was. JJ can, can again he's he's a former five star kid. They really liked what they saw at high school. Um, that deep ball hasn't translated just yet. They were able to hit some open open shots against Ohio State, but they've been trying all season long to connect with some of those deep balls, and they just haven't done it. Um, but no, JJ is their guy. They really like him. Uh, I think they look at him as having a very bright future. And yeah, things have kind of turned around for him. He was a little turnover prone early in the year. Uh, he was uh, fumbling the football a little bit. That's gotten better as the season has gone on. I think he's kind of figured out, picked his spots when and where to when and where to to run and, and not, not not lose the ball. Um, but yeah, the last few weeks he's really taken over. I think he's finally found his calling or found found his I guess um, comfort comfortability. In fact, after the Ohio State game, I asked him when he when he felt like the game turned and he said early in the third quarter and he said, cause he, he felt like the first half, he was still trying to get his feet underneath him. He was, mm. you know, he was getting used to the, you know, the environment and everything else. So I, I think he's a confident, confident, um, his confidence has grown as the season's gone on. And that's the thing too. They haven't asked him to do much. This, again, this Michigan offense is very much rooted in the run game. It's not, they're not throwing the ball 30 times a game. They're not leaning on him to, to uh, you know, connect on, on deep balls too much to change the, the, the trajectory of a game. So I, I think in a way it's been smart the way they've handled it. They've kind of weaned him into the starting role and not thrown everything on his shoulders right away. And so far it's worked. And I think as the season's gone on, he's just gotten better and better. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, you know, while Michigan has been here before, this will be JJ's first start in a college football playoff game. But I, I guess if you played in, uh, you know, the horseshoe in front of 100,000 fans and playing in a, a corporate NFL stadium where the lower bowl is 90% people with a lot of money probably isn't quite as intimidating. So I, I think you'll probably be able to manage that one just fine. Um, let's talk a little bit about the defensive side of the ball. Um, because like you said, the Michigan style is, is run the ball, keep the oppos- opposing offenses off the field, and then, um, you know, play a really physical branded defense uh, when, when you get to that turn. TCU obviously had some really electric offensive players. It starts with Max Duggan, the Heisman finalist, finished second this year. Still another one of those very weird sentences for a TCU fan to say. Um, you know, Max Duggan, I, I think, has, has come on, burst onto the national scene for what he's been able to do with his legs. Um, and, and he's an accomplished passer as well. But has Michigan seen a lot of mobile quarterbacks this year? And, and do you think that that's a place where TCU can really kind of take advantage? I, I do. They've only seen a, a couple, really. Talia Tagovailoa at Maryland early mm-hmm. in the year, and they had trouble with him in the first half. They kind of figured it out in the second, and they were able to clamp down and, and stop him. And then C.J. Stroud again, again against Ohio State. So they haven't seen a ton. The Big Ten isn't really known for, for many mobile mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Uh, especially, you know, the, the maybe the bottom of the, of the conference. So I'm really curious to see how they handle Max Duggan. And I will say this, after the Big Ten Championship game, we spoke to several of the Michigan players in the team hotel kind of as a selection show was going on. And, you know, we kept asking about TCU and if they had watched any TCU. And every player we had spoken to had watched that Big 12 Championship game the day before. Wow. And, and they, they were complimenting Max Duggan. That was the guy, the guy that always came up. In fact, Ronnie Bell said he was kind of, in and out of a nap that watching the game because the big 10 championship game was that night, that Saturday night, but he said, Max Duggan was keeping him up because he was making all those plays. I think, I so think I, I read a uh, read your article with that quote. That was, yeah, that yeah. was great. 
so I, I think they they know what they get here. I mean, they, it's not like they haven't faced a mobile quarterback before, but I, I don't know if they faced the, you know maybe I guess CJ Stroud would be the, the most you know comparable one. Um, so I, I think they know what they're getting themselves up going, getting themselves into. Um, but I, I'm really curious to see how they handle the, the, the TCU passing game because again, as, as I said earlier, I, I think if TCU can um, move the foot, move the football, and score some touchdowns, and especially get on the board early, it would certainly put Michigan um, by the, behind the eight ball in terms of what they're trying to do. I will say this. Michigan's done a very good job of, of making those halftime adjustments. They've truly been a second half team all season long. And it's, it's almost, <laughs> yeah, they'll go into halftime. They'll be down a couple of points or they'll be not playing particularly well. And then it's almost like they, they flip a switch. They come out in the second half and it's just a totally different game. They clamp down defensively. They, they obviously get to hit the, hit the, the gas offensively and it's a different ball game. So it's weird. This defense isn't laden with stars. There is no Aiden Hutchinson. There is no first round pick here. Um, Michigan's uh, edge rusher Mike Morris was named Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year, but he's not going to be a first-round pick. So there's really no no superstar in this group, which I think has been fascinating to watch. They, they're not afraid to substitute. They're not afraid to bring different packages and different looks and different blitzes. They've used the secondary a little bit more, getting the quarterback this year. It's been kind of they kind of throw everything out there. They do a very good job of adjusting. They do a very good job of di- using different players in just different schemes and they're not afraid to s- switch between man and zone and everything else to kind of confuse an opposing offense. So expect Michigan to throw a lot out there, expecting to get better as the game goes on. Uh, and then that's why I said, it's going to be, it's going to be imperative for TCU to, to move the football early and get on the, on the, get on the scoreboard early and kind of put Michigan, you know, back them up against the wall. At two second half teams, you're going to have this thing seven to three at the break and finish 41, 38 or something. Wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Uh, you talked a little bit about that secondary and the way that they use them. You know, TCU obviously has a first round draft pick, potential top 10 draft pick and Quentin Johnston, um, who hopefully this long layoff is going to let get healthy because that's been what's kind of hampered him down the stretch. He still made big plays in the biggest games. Um, he's still the guy that when TCU needs a play, they're going to chuck it up to QJ and hope for something good to happen. Uh, who do you think is going to spend time matched up or is Michigan going to throw a couple of different guys at him or, or, you know, maybe we'll see more zone. What are your, kind of your expectations for that? I, I think early on, he'll probably see DJ Turner, Michigan's junior cornerback. He's typically been the number one guy for most of the season, but yeah, I mean, Michigan's done a very good job too of, of switching up, switching it up. They're not afraid They'll rotate. Uh, they'll maybe double team. They'll throw us, you know, a, a second high safety back there. They'll do different things to try and I think give them different looks. Uh, and that's kind of been the MO of this, as I mentioned, this Michigan defense all season long. They, they don't want to become predictable. They don't want the opposing offense to know what they're doing because in a way that was knocking at the Michigan defense for so many years. They, they, I mean, their top five unit this year, they've been top five largely for the last, you know, six, eight years. But, you know, pre-2020, they, they were very predictable. You knew what they were going to throw out there. You knew who was going up, going up against who, and it wouldn't change as the game went on. That's just not the case this year. They'll, they'll rotate. They'll diff- throw different looks. Um, they won't be, like I said, they won't be afraid to switch between man and zone. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll yield some yards to CCU. They'll probably let them move the, move down the field. Um, but then as, a, you know, as the drive goes on, they'll clamp up. Um, perhaps forced a turnover too. They did a very good job against Ohio State in that yeah. second half. They forced two interceptions. CJ Stroud was clearly getting frustrated, couldn't find his open guys, and Michigan was kind of having a field day there. So, uh, look for DJ Turner early. After that, it, it could certainly change. You know, I think uh, not to take anything away from Blake Corum, who's been one of the elite backs, but I think Kendra Miller kind of was matching him punch for punch for the early part of the seasons too for TCU. Um, I think. 
obviously there's more expectations. There's more on the weight of Blake Corum. And, and so he deserved all the praise that he was getting, but Kendra Miller's pretty good player in his own right as well. Um, you, you know, you've seen some great running backs, no shortage of great running backs in, in the big 10, but do you think that, that TCU can have some success with the run game or is Michigan so solid up front that, that they're going to, they're going to really try to clamp that down? Yeah, they, they could certainly, I mean, there've been times where Michigan's get yielded yards on the ground. Um, they're not particularly deep or kind of big up on, over the middle. Um, they, they have yielded yards. Mozzie Smith's their best defensive tackle. They really like what yeah. he has there. Um, but they, ha- they have given you up yards. So, I mean, it would not surprise me. TCU is able to at least early, you know, get some chunk yards there. Uh, Michigan's very thin at linebacker too. And, and they, they aren't afraid to go four two five. So if you can get past that first level, um, there are yards to be had there. Uh, so Michigan, I mean, they've, they've, they've faced their, their share of, of elite running backs in the big 10. They've done a decent job of shutting them down. Um, I wouldn't say a fantastic job. Uh, so I, he could certainly have, you know, get some yards there as the game goes on. It feels like there's a lot of similarities between these, these two programs and the way that they're built, where, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are too. You know, every time you say, so, sorry, my dog is losing his mind. Every time you say something, I'm like, Oh, thin at linebacker. That sounds familiar. Or maybe a little undersized up front with, yeah. Oh, okay. That kind of works. It, it's going to be a really fascinating matchup. And I think, you know, TCU has been, the term fraudulent has been thrown around so much about TCU. And it's not anything that's unfamiliar to people that have been around this program for a really long time. And we've been hearing that, you know, since the early 2000s. Um, but but, I, but I'm hoping that that people will have a little bit of respect. It sounds like the Michigan players certainly have respect for what the Horned Frogs have been able to do this season. When they were looking at the matchups and the way that things are starting to fall into place, did you get a sense that there was a team they'd like to see or a team that they wouldn't like to see? Or is everyone kind of just assuming that TCU is, is such an underdog in the series that's the team everybody wanted to play in the first round. Well, after the Big Ten championship game, a lot of the players were getting questions about a potential rematch with with Ohio State, obviously. Yeah. And they were just coming off the win. And obviously, I think the fans would have liked to have seen again everything else. Um, but no, they were, the players are very respectful to TCU. I, I think they, they're very respectful of the Big 12 and what they're able to do, especially offensively. Um, you know, the two conferences, as we all know, are kind of different the way they go about things, different uh, schemes, different t- approaches, everything else. But I, I do think there's a very similar feeling of TCU to like to like Ohio State or potentially like a Maryland and Michigan player early in the year. They're able to move the ball. They're athletic. They've got skill guys that can play. Um, and as I said earlier, they're very complimentary in Max Doug and his ability too. So I don't think they're certainly not overlooking TCU. You know, Michigan's been in this situation before. They lost last year, so I don't think they really have business to be overlooking. You know, have any business overlooking TCU? Uh, so I think it's gonna be a fun game. I'm really looking forward to it. And it, it's one of those under under the radar matchups that could end up being a very entertaining game. And as you mentioned, sure. there's so many different, so many similarities between these two teams. They both like to score in different ways. Um, it, it should be a lot of fun. I'm expecting the, you know, back, back and forth, you know, relatively close game. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would have loved to have heard you say they were only thinking about Georgia to rematch with the Bulldogs. Um, just overlook us. That would be great. But, um, you know, uh, Mike Leach, uh, you know, obviously, which some people see this will know, has passed away and, and one of the great characters in college football. And, um, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh has has some of those kind of the, the unique characters and, and unique storytelling and different things and jumping on the initial uh, Fiesta Bowl call with him. I was like, this guy is like such a delightful weirdo, like most college football coaches. Um, do you have kind of a, a favorite Jim Harbaugh story or, or an interaction with him or something that when you think about like this guy is the head coach at Michigan of Michigan football that, that kind of makes you smile. Yeah. You know, we spent a good week with the team back in 2018. They went on a uh, spring trip to Paris, France, Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. They oh, made yeah. a, kind of a regular yeah. appearance of, yeah, going on a regular, a week or yearly trip. One year it was uh, the Vatican. Next year was Paris. Then it was South Africa and everything else. But yeah, we were in a week long trip with them and 
you know, you, you kind of got to see the behind the scenes Jim Harbaugh. There's this kind of, um, you know, person who likes to step in front of the media. And I think he acts a certain way for the attention mm-hmm. and just for the, you know, for the accolades and everything else. And then you, you, once you're around him long enough, and I think you, you hear players and coaches and recruits say this a lot, but Jim is very different behind, behind closed doors. He's genuine. They, they really like him. He's very football centric. Um, he, he is, he's a down to this down to earth guy and he isn't this maybe necessarily this weirdo that many folks see on, on TV. So, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a different, interesting guy. Um, you know, he, he, as a, as a media member, he typically doesn't give you much. I, I think he v- looks at the media as almost kind of like an enemy and, you know, it is what it is. He comes from a different era. Um, but he's certainly, there's been certainly no, um, you know, uh, you know, no shortage of, of content with him the last, last five or six years covering him on the beat. Uh, you know, one of the things that that also happens around this time of year when you have a successful college program is, especially with a guy that's been in the NFL, is that you start hearing rumors. And it, it seems like he's been kind of tangentially linked a little bit to the Indianapolis Colts job. Um, do you get any sense that that he's interested in potentially going back to the NFL, especially with NIL and the transfer portal? It's a lot. Um, or do you think that that now that he's kind of gotten to where he wants to be with the school that he loves so much that he's maybe in this for the long haul? It's a good question because these Renafal rumors, it seems like come up every year, even before last year when yeah. I think he first for the first time really, you know, stepped out and, and genuinely interviewed and wanted to leave the NFL. Um, he has said he'll be back next year. Um, I, I, gen- I tend to believe him when he says something like that, because there have been years have gone by where the NFL rumors have come up and he hasn't said anything. So um, I, I tend to think he'll be back next year, but I, I never say never with him. He has said, and he said this last year after interview with the Vikings that, yes, I want to go back to the NFL. And the goal of mine is still to win the Super Bowl. Uh, he got there, obviously, one year, couldn't win it. So I think that remains his kind of his, his end all be all goal. But I, I, at the same time, too, I, I think he's he's happy where he's at in Michigan. You know, he's he's got Michigan where he wants to be. Um, he's been able to get kind of break through this glass ceiling and beat Ohio State, and we, as we talked about, and get to the playoff. Um, obviously, winning a national championship would go a long way. Um, so it, it's hard to say. I never say never. It would not shock me if he were to leave the next year for the NFL if the right opportunity opened, just like the Colts, as you mentioned. Um, it, it's always so hard, hard to read with him. He doesn't have an agent. So there's a lot of like real good info to come out to kind of get leaked out. So you're, you're forced to, you know, lean on rumors from the NFL side. Maybe they want him, maybe they don't. Um, but it's possible. I, I never say never, but at this point I lean more toward him probably being back at Michigan next year. All right. And the last question before I let you go, it's early. We've got weeks until this game kicks off, but are you ready to put down a score prediction or do you want to wait a little bit closer to game time? I haven't put one out yet, but I will just, and this is subject to change. I, I, I sure, think Michigan sure. will probably run away with it in the second half. I'm going to say something like 41-24. I think it'll be a little more high scoring than many of us expect. I think they're going to see points early. I think Michigan's defense, as I mentioned, will probably clamp down the second half. and They'll probably pour on the second half. So I'm going to say 41-24 right now. 41-24. All right. We've got it down. We're not writing it in pen. We're writing it in pencil for you. Don't worry. Um, Aaron, really appreciate you jumping on. Where can people find your work if they want to learn more about uh, Michigan leading up to this game? Yeah, all our works at mlive.com slash Wolverines. I'm on Twitter, Aaron McMahon, Aaron with two A's, and McMahon is M-C-M-A-N-N. Awesome. And hey, we'll see you down in Arizona. Get a little bit of break from the snow of Michigan and, and enjoy uh, enjoy some, some warm weather there in late December. So thanks again, Aaron. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.